The Tale of Tommy Fox by Arthur Scott Bailey. Chapter 1. Tommy Enjoys Himself. Tommy Fox was having a delightful time. If you could have come upon him in the woods, you would have been astonished at his antics. He leaped high off the ground and struck out with his paws. He opened his mouth and thrust his nose out and then clapped his jaws shut again with a snap. Tommy burrowed his sharp face into the dead leaves at his feet and tossed his head into the air, and then he jumped up and barked just like a puppy. If you could have hid behind a tree and watched Tommy Fox, you would have said that he was playing with something, but you never could have told what it was because you couldn't have seen it. And you may have three guesses now before I tell you what it was that Tommy Fox was playing with. It was a feather! Yes, Tommy had found a downy, brownish feather in the woods, which Old Mother Grouse had dropped in one of her flights. And Tommy was having great sport with it, tossing it up in the air and slapping and snapping at it as it drifted slowly down to the ground again. He grew quite excited, did Tommy Fox, for he just couldn't help making believe that it was Old Mother Grouse herself and not merely one of her smallest feathers that he had found. And he leaped and bounded and jumped and tumbled about and made a great fuss over nothing but that little soft brownish feather. There was something about that feather that made Tommy's nose twitch and wrinkle and tremble. Tommy sniffed and sniffed at the bit of down, for he liked the smell of it. It made him feel very hungry. And at last he felt so hungry that he decided he would go home and see if his mother had brought him something to eat. So he started homewards. I must explain that Tommy lived with his mother and that their house was right in the middle of one of Farmer Green's fields, not far from the foot of Blue Mountain. When Tommy was quite small, his mother had chosen that place for her house, which was really a den that she had dug in the ground. By having her house in the center of the field, she knew that no one could creep up and catch Tommy when he was playing outside in the sunshine. Now Tommy was older, and he had begun to roam about in the woods and meadows alone. But Mrs. Fox liked her home in the field, and so she continued to live there. Tommy was so hungry now, and in such a hurry to reach home, that you might think that he would have gone straight toward his mother's house. But he didn't. He trotted along a little way and suddenly gave a sidewise leap, which carried him several feet away from the straight path he had been following. Again, he trotted ahead for a short distance, and then he wheeled around and ran in a circle. And after he had made the circle, he jumped to one side once more and ran along on an old tree which had fallen upon the ground. He was not playing. No, Tommy Fox was just trying to obey his mother. Ever since he had been big enough to wander off by himself, she had told him that he must never go anywhere without making jumps and circles. It takes longer, she said, but it is better to do that way because it makes it hard for a dog to follow you. If you ran straight ahead, Farmer Green's dog could go smelling along in your footsteps, and if he didn't actually catch you, he could follow you right home, and then we would have to move, to say the least. Tommy was so afraid of dogs that he almost never forgot to do just as his mother told him. He was halfway home and passing through a clump of evergreens when he suddenly stopped. The wind was blowing in his face and brought to his nostrils a smell that made him tremble. It was not a frightened sort of tremble, but a delicious, joyful shiver that Tommy felt, 
for he smelled something that reminded him at once of that feather which he had been playing. And Tommy stood as still as a statue, and his sharp eyes looked all around. At first he could see nothing, but in a minute or two he noticed something on the ground beneath one of the evergreen trees. He had looked at it carefully several times, and each time he had decided that it was only an old tree root. But now he saw that he had been mistaken. Yes, it was Old Mother Grouse herself. End of chapter. Read by Lorraine Montgomery for Lit to Go. On the web at fcit.usf.edu.
Then we shall have eight dozen, altogether, said Ida, jotting down all her requirements upon a sheet of paper, and two pints of champagne, and some brown bread and vinegar and pepper. That's all, I think. Is it not so very difficult to give us supper after all, is it, Clara? I don't like it, Ida. It seems to me to be very indelicate. But it is needed to clinch the matter. No, no, there is no drawing back now, Clara, or we shall ruin everything. Papa is sure to come back by 9.45. He will reach the door at ten. We must have everything ready for him. Now, just sit down at once and ask Harold to come at nine o'clock, and I shall do the same to Charles. The two invitations were dispatched, received, and accepted. Harold was already a confidant, and he understood that this was some further development of the plot. As to Charles, he was so accustomed to feminine eccentricity in the person of his aunt, that the only thing which could surprise him would be a rigid observance of etiquette. At nine o'clock they entered the dining room of number two to find the master of the house absent, a red-shaded lamp, a snowy cloth, a pleasant little feast, and the two whom they would have chosen as their companions. A merrier party never met, and the house rang with their laughter and their chatter. It is three minutes to ten, cried Clara, suddenly glancing at the clock. Good gracious, so it is. Now for our little tableau. Ida pushed the champagne bottles obtrusively forward in the direction of the door and scattered oyster shells all over the cloth. Have you your pipe, Charles? My pipe? Yes. Then please, smoke it. Now don't argue about it, but do it, for you will ruin the effect otherwise. Begin. The large man drew out a red case and extracted a great yellow meerschaum, out of which, a moment later, he was puffing thick wreaths of smoke. Harold had lit a cigar, and both the girls had cigarettes. "'That looks very nice and emancipated,' said Ida, glancing around. "'Now I shall lie on the sofa. "'So, now, Charles, just sit there and throw your arm carelessly over the back of the sofa. "'No, don't stop smoking. I like it. "'Clara, dear, put, put your feet upon the coal scuttle, and you try to look a little dissipated. "'I wish we could crown ourselves with flowers. "'There are some lettuces on the sideboard. "'Oh, dear, here he is. I hear his key.' She began to sing in her high, fresh voice, a little snatch from a French song with a swinging tra-la-la chorus. The doctor had walked home from the station in a peaceable and relenting frame of mind, feeling that perhaps he had said too much in the morning, that his daughters had for years been models in every way, and that if there had been any change of late, it was, as they said themselves, on account of their anxiety to follow his advice and to imitate Mrs. Westmacott. He could see clearly enough now that the advice was unwise, and that a world peopled with Mrs. Westmacott's would not be a happy or a soothing one. It was he who was, himself, to blame, and he was grieved by the thought that perhaps his hot words had troubled and saddened his two girls. This fear, however, was soon dissipated. As he entered his hall, he heard the voice of Ida uplifted in a rollicking ditty, and a very strong smell of tobacco was borne to his nostrils. He threw open the dining-room door and stood aghast at the scene which met his eyes. The room was full of the blue wreaths of smoke and the lamplight shone through the thin haze upon gold-topped bottles, plates, napkins, and a litter of oyster shells and cigarettes. Ida, flushed and excited, was reclining upon the settee, a wine glass at her elbow and a cigarette between her fingers, while Charles Westmacott sat beside her, with his arm thrown over the head of the sofa with a suggestion of a caress. On the other side of the room, Clara was lounging in an armchair, with Harold beside her, both smoking, and both with wine glasses beside them. The doctor stood speechless in the doorway, staring at the Bacchanalian scene. "'Come in, Papa, do!' cried Ida. "'Won't you have a glass of champagne?' "'Pray excuse me,' said her father coldly. "'I feel that I am intruding. I did not know that you were entertaining. Perhaps you will kindly let me know when you have finished. You will find me in my study.' 
He ignored the two young men completely, and closing the door, retired, deeply hurt and mortified, to his room. A quarter of an hour afterwards, he heard the door slam, and his two daughters came to announce that the guests were gone.